Tune in to my next interview with Rosemary, an interesting expat experience. She was born in Germany, grew up in Belgium, in 2013 moved to Ghana for work, then returned back to Belgium with a husband and a child. She's creator of She Tribe, a community for women of color. I'm so excited. Tune in. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where I talk to expats about what it's like living, working, making a home abroad. You'll get great information for your move abroad via this podcast. Also, go to the website, arewehomeyetpodcast.com, and subscribe to the blog for more helpful information to make your home abroad a success. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you, listeners, for turning back to the podcast, Are We Home Yet? So today I have with me Rosemary. And Rosemary, where do you currently live and how long have you lived there? Hey, Jalila, thank you for having me on your show. Hi, thank it's such you, an you. honor. <laughs> I currently live in Belgium, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm originally from Ghana. Yeah, so I think my story is a little bit backwards in the sense that I was born in Germany, but raised in Belgium. So I've pretty much been here all my life, but then I moved to Ghana in 2013. Belgium is a very small country in Western Europe, and most people, when they come to Europe, kind of miss Belgium because they're like, it's right in between France Um, Germany and the Netherlands. And so a lot of people probably just miss it. But Belgium Mm -hmm. is a very, uh, it's a cozy, nice country, sometimes confusing because there's a, in this tiny country, there's three language, three official languages. Mm -hmm. And most spoken is Dutch and French. And so depending on where you are, you are required to speak one or the other or both, which can Mm -hmm. be even more confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's very um, nice to live here. I think for, especially families, if you have kids, it's quite um, comfortable and you don't have to work crazy hours to make a living. And, and it's kind of the, the location makes it very easy to travel around Europe and also abroad. So uh, I would say it's pretty nice place to live in. Um, predominantly white people live here, so Europeans. So mm-hmm. as, a, as a black woman myself, I fall uh, in a group of minorities. Mm-hmm. So that can be a you know, sometimes the negatives about living in a country like like Belgium, where you're a minority group, because you're reminded of that. You know, so there are expats, but, you know, yeah, there's there's one thing to be an expat, a white expat, but then there's another thing to be a black expat, you know, and, you know, there's exactly. times like I've had to figure out, OK, well, you know, who can I find to, you know, do my hair or like, you know, buy the clothes that like fit my size and, you know, um, you know, things like that. And like, you know, find the friends that will understand where I'm coming from when I say certain things about, you know, being from America or being black or things like that. So then how, how do you cope with that? How does that feel like? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think um, growing up, you're not so, I mean, you're aware that you're a different race and that you look different, but you're only aware when people start um, commenting on that. And mm-hmm. so for me, I think it's when I became a teen, when I turned a teenager, that's when I realized the differences very much and that I yearned for groups or people who look more like me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of um, what inspired me to move to Ghana, but Mm -hmm. also upon my return, which we'll probably talk about is um, Mm -hmm. when I created my community called She Tribe, Mm -hmm. because I was yearning for a group of like-minded people, but also people who actually looked like me, women that I could go to, to talk about things like my hair, like you mentioned, but also 
um, the difference in, in cultures, whether it's dating, but also parenting and other things. How do you navigate the adult world as a black woman mm-hmm. in general? You know, what does your day to day look like in, in Belgium? So currently I'm working from home. I'm one of those lucky ones that was able to keep um, their jobs during this pandemic. So I'm currently working from home. So in the morning, I just wake up, take my youngest daughter. I have three kids, Mm -hmm. um, my youngest daughter to daycare when it's open, because with COVID, one day it's open, another day it's closed. So I take her to daycare, then I come back and start my day. Um, before that, if I were to even rewind, I would I start my day when possible with yoga, a little bit of uh, me time nice. or just um, high intensity workout just because I'm a busy mom. So if I can get 10 or 15 minutes uh, cardio in there, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And then I get the, uh, her ready, take her to daycare, come back and start my day. Um, which is a nine to five. I work for a global travel um, agency. So um, booking.com mm-hmm. um, that you probably know if you travel yeah, a lot, yeah. you may mm-hmm. have used them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and after hours, I start my other job, which is uh, coaching other women how to basically create the life that they want and so mostly um, helping them start their businesses but also mindset issues so when I'm not busy with the ladies from the community from She Tribe I'm working with one-on-one clients so that's pretty much what my day looks like. Okay all right and so you know you mentioned uh, She Tribe so what prompted you to create that business? I know that you mentioned that you know it, it was an idea to, you know, be able to communicate and interact with, with other black women, but what else about it? Like, like, tell us more about the the business, the organization. Yeah. So basically um, I started it in 2018. And at that time I was in maternity leave about to return to work. Um, after I've had, I've had, I had had my uh, second daughter, uh, my first daughter, sorry. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, my God, it's um, during the pregnancy and during the whole maternity, I was in mother group. So I was um, part of this mother group where you could meet weekly or biweekly and just exchange on how you're feeling and how your um, your child is also evolving. And I remembered it being such a nice um, session with these women from different backgrounds and uh, the chance to connect with other women who were going through similar experiences mm-hmm. made me um, go through motherhood, made it a lot easier for me. Let's put it that way, because uh, motherhood can be quite intense and not having other women to talk with besides maybe your mother or your mother-in-law, or your friends, it, it can be quite uh, lonely. And then it took me also back to when I was in Ghana, um, how I realized that creating a community was quite important as an expat outside when you don't know many people, creating your own little tribe of like-minded people is gold. And so I realized that now that I was back in Belgium and that I couldn't find that tribe besides just online on Facebook groups, it was time for me to create that. And so that's what basically inspired it out of a need for a community, basically. I wanted women to connect with, exchange with on topics that I cared about, mm-hmm. which is um, holistic lifestyle in general, just being happier, healthier, more successful. I liked things that maybe a lot of people might think, well, that's weird for 
a girl like you to like these things or mm -hmm. whatnot. So I, and I knew there were more people like me. And so I wanted to bring them together. Let's take a quick break. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Want to make your move abroad as smooth as possible? Download the ebook from the arewehomeyetpodcast.com website for resources in making a home abroad. Unsure how to make money while living abroad? Download the free teaching online PDF with more than 20 online companies looking for people to teach various languages and different subjects. Download these two great items and make your move abroad a reality. Okay, back to the show. Since we've been living with COVID for like two years now, you know, how has that affected your business? Like, I mean, are you still able to continue to connect even without being able to physically meet in places, you know, as easily as you would like, or, you know, like how, 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 how does it keep going? Yeah. Good question. Because we, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had just um, started our monthly brunches, mm -hmm. which is something we did in every, every month in a different Belgian city. And mm -hmm. this was at the request of some of the members saying that, you know, one of our um, events that we organize once a year is the wellness retreats that we host overseas in, in Ghana or in, so far in Ghana. But the idea is to host it in different African countries. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were like, what if I miss the retreat? Then it means I get I, I don't have any other opportunities to meet the women face to face. Mm -hmm. So they wanted more face to face contacts on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I came up the, of the idea with um, up with the idea of um, monthly brunches at a different location in a different city, because in Belgium, a lot of the people kind of and I think it's everywhere. The same thing. People tend to stay in their own cities and they don't like to travel to other places because they think it's too far. And already gone. Uh, Belgium being such a small country, it meant that if you lived somewhere where you were probably the only black girl, it will take a long time before you meet other black girls. And so the idea was to travel around every month in a different city, bring these women together and let them, you know, connect with each other. That was put on hold due to COVID. So we were only able to do two sessions mm -hmm. um, and they were very popular, but because of COVID, we had to put that on hold. I was also expecting later in that year, my third child and which meant that I had to be extra careful with meeting people. And so we decided to put that on hold. Um, so that's one of the things that made it difficult. The retreats um, kept going. So I hosted my, the third retreat um, in um, October, 2021. Um, and it was impacted because I had less numbers. So less people were able or willing to travel due to COVID um, which made it quite difficult. And now that I'm, you know, working on the third one, I mean, on the fourth one for 2022, I know that it's going to be extra difficult because there are different rules per country. And I know that Ghana only allows uh, entry in the country for vaccinated people. So again, that makes it hard for non-vaccinated people who want to come on the retreats to join. So those are the dynamics and the difficulties that the pandemics has brought uh, with, themselves, with itself. 
Okay. Okay. And, you know, speaking about, um, you know, you had mentioned, you know, like say meeting in Ghana. So, you know, I'd really like to transition to that topic. I was just um, a girl who was a tired of living in Belgium and had got, mm-hmm. had an opportunity to move. And so when I moved, I just moved on my own mm-hmm. um, for what I thought would have been six months. And then I ended up staying there three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I met my husband there who was also an, um, an expat from the U.S. to Ghana. Mm-hmm. And so we met there, got married and then came to Belgium. So we did it a, a bit a different way around. Mm-hmm. But it's been definitely on our minds to move back and also we were lucky to take the kids for the first time this um, um, this past fall. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really an interesting uh, experience for all of us. Talk about expats because we fall in the category of repats in mm-hmm. that sense, because both of us were have uh, Ghanaian parents and Ghanaian ancestry. And so when mm-hmm. we moved back, we had that at least, that mm-hmm. it wasn't such a foreign country after all, even though he had been there many times and even he grew up there, mm-hmm. but left a long time ago. I had not but we both spoke the language. And so we weren't so, you know, estranged as others would be if they Mm -hmm. were first there, but it still had its, you know, brought its own complexities because um, I, you know, didn't really have friends there. I had to learn to make friends. I had to find a job. He was self-employed, but it's a different way of working. So I think, um, um, depending on the type of person that you are, whether you're a socialite or not, it can be quite difficult to kind of make friends and, and find your way around a new place. Um, but we were lucky in that sense that when I was there, um, I am very much that um, in, um, extroverted introvert. And so I can be sociable when I need to be. And I enjoyed being around people and look for people and going to events to meet people and reach out. Um, but my husband is very much an introvert. And so that's if, you know, he wouldn't go out and meet as many people. So he had been there longer than me, but I knew more people than him, for instance. So, um, it's, uh, I guess it depends on your personality and what you're also looking for. Um, we have a 10 year age difference. So I think for me, when I moved there, I was also very much into discovering and traveling around and this, that, and he was very much there for business. So <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what was job hunting like? I mean, was there job security? Like, you know, tell us like, you know, you, you were now, even though like you, you had family there, but still, you know, I'm assuming like you still had to go through that same visa job process. Like, what was that like? Yeah. So when I left, luckily, I had a job for which I was going. So when mm-hmm. I moved to Ghana, I went to work uh, temporarily to help my brother out as a um, business development manager for um, a restaurant and events manager for um, hospitality business he had opened. So that made it easy for me on the entry points. But because I was only there for six months initially and ended up staying longer, I had to job hunt. And job hunting in Ghana, I don't know about other African countries or other countries, it's very much who you know, Mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to get these jobs. And it seems like every expat or repat or at least um, foreigner is looking for that great job that has nice perks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they're very difficult to get by. And also, um, so you need to know 
someone. You need to know people to be introduced. And um, luckily for me, uh, at the restaurant, we were serving, I introduced Belgian beers because mm-hmm. as a Belgian, I was like, hey, you don't have any Belgian beers on your menu card? Well, that's mm-hmm. a pity. Let's see what we can do about that. Mm-hmm. And so I introduced that. And thanks to my supplier, he was like, hey, are you, uh, I think you're Belgian, right? Where every year the Belgian consulate organizes an event at their place, uh, at his house. Why? And, you know, as a Belgian, you're invited. So if you want to join, you know, you're welcome. And I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity to meet other Belgians or, you know, people from that part of the world here in Accra and just network a bit. And so when I went there, I happened to have met an MD of uh, Friesland Campina, which is like a milk um, producer um, Mm -hmm. there. And during conversations, I dropped that, you know, I was looking for a job. I was looking to transition from hospitality into sales and marketing. And if you had any contacts, and that's really pretty much how I found my job at an advertising agency as a sales um, representative there. But it's again, really through who you know. So I feel like if you're moving to a country hoping to get a job once you get there, it's going to be very difficult. You either have to have a job before you move Mm -hmm. or really have your contacts well so that once you hit the ground, you're able to get interviews um, lined up and, you know, speak with the right people. Because I found that that was the hardest. A lot of people moved jobs a lot that I knew because yeah, um, the pay is not what you expect it to be. And those expat contracts are very few, very rare. And they, unfortunately, they're not given to um, a lot of Black people. Mm, okay, got it, got it. Okay, so then, you know, what was your day-to-day like there? And, you know, you mentioned about, you know, finding friends. How did you eventually meet friends? And, you know, the friendships that, you know, after a few years you left behind to, to move to Belgium, were you able to, to maintain contact with them? And what did that feel like leaving them? Yeah, I think making friends was hard and easy at the same time. So because I had a job in hospitality, it meant, and I don't know if you know anyone that works in hospitality, you're pretty much married to your job okay. because it's a six to seven kind of, you work all the time mm-hmm. and the hours are quite long. So I was at work a lot. And so that meant that I created friendship with my clients, people that would come to the restaurant and the bar. And so, um, that made it easy because that's how I connected and made friends first. But then I decided to move out of the place and start to make friends outside of that based on, you know, who I am and what interested me. And that's why I think my trip to Ghana, the move, they were so uh, important for me in my self-discovery journey because um, I came to a point where I had to now decide, okay, what kind of person am I and what kind of people do I want to attract? Whereas when you live where you've always lived, you just happen to be friends with the people that you went to school with and that maybe you go to church with or who are just around because they've always been around. But now when you're an adult, you make friends based on what you like and activities you want to do and the type of person you want to meet. So I had to really think deep about what I wanted to do and what kind of friendships I wanted. And I realized that I had to use my um, advantage of, um, you know, 
languages. I speak many languages and I realized, well, I speak French and I speak Dutch, I speak German. So maybe I should move into those circles and see if I can make friends, not only, you know, Ghanaians and not only repats, but maybe from other countries as well who live here and who are going through a similar experience. And so that's what brought me to Alliance Francaise, which is a French kind of representative, you know, for the language and for the culture in, in, in Accra. But then you had the Goethe Institute for the German. And, and I started moving into different um, um, groups where I made friends with people from different countries. I also love to quiz. So I would go to quiz nights and game nights and bars. And sometimes I would be paired with strangers. And I love that because I, I got to meet people from different places. I also love to dance. And I, I dance Kazomba from Angola, and I know that dance is universal. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to this dance place where we would dance with strangers. And sometimes you, I remember dancing with this Polish guy who didn't speak a word of English, but was a very good Kizomba dancer. So mm -hmm. him and I connected through the dance, although we didn't speak each other's languages. So those are the ways that I use to make friends. And yeah, I love that because it allowed me to get to know myself and to expand the person that, that I was. Mm. Um, I made very good friends and, and some turned out to be disappointing as well. So mm -hmm. one thing that I learned about making friends when you're an adult is, at least in Ghana, a lot of people wanted to be friends with you based on what they think they could get from you. Mm -hmm. But that's also a danger. And it meant that when people didn't, get what they think they were going to get initially that they're no longer friendly to you mm -hmm. and so boundaries was also something I learned from you know um living abroad like you need to have boundaries you're not you know not supposed to welcome everyone into your private space and everything like that so mm -hmm. and the ones that moved yeah that I guess that's all part of it but that makes it really hard because you build friendships with people who leave and myself I had to leave but I was able to maintain a relationship with those that mattered. Maybe we don't call on a monthly basis or mm -hmm. very regularly, but we do catch up whenever I'm there and make sure that we're still in each other's lives. But it does make it hard, I think. And that's what pushed me into other communities as well, because I had that with and in Ghana was more repat. So mm -hmm. Ghanaian who's, who had moved back and I felt like, oh, we're all going through the same experience, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't like that. And. I also felt like people were more thinking about what's in it for them Yeah, in the relationship with me, whereas with locals or maybe people from other country, it was really just rose for rose. They just wanted a friendship with me mm -hmm. just like that for nothing in particular. And um, yeah, I had to move away and learn to how to, you know, place boundaries to really get that. And so I'm grateful for that because that's a lesson that I've now taken with me, no matter where I live, that people are not always, you know, willing to be in your life for the, for good intentions. Yeah. My experience in Ghana was really amazing. I think um, it was definitely life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I learned so much about myself, but also obviously I got the chance to meet my husband there mm -hmm. and, and build a family. But it's personally, it's been really one of the best um, things for me. Before I even had moved to Ghana, I had a brief move to Berlin as well. So I always wanted to uh, travel. I, I love traveling, obviously. But I think everyone should 
live at least six months somewhere alone where they know no one or at least just one person because it's just this magical experience you, you meet yourself uh, and and you get to know other people and culture and everything so for me it was definitely worth it so much fun um in terms of quality of life i would definitely say that my def- my quality of life was better there but at the same time I think it depends on the stage of your life because I'm a mother now and I have kids. Uh, perhaps things would look different if I was still living there mm-hmm. with the same income. Um, being there as a single woman in late 20s at that time, yeah, and having a job, I had a place to live, I had a car mm-hmm. and I had enough money to travel and go out and buy myself some stuff, have my pedicures and massage. So I was definitely mm-hmm. living a more... Um, yeah, a better quality of life there mm-hmm. than in Belgium at the same time. If I were here in Belgium, I wouldn't be getting massages left and right and mm-hmm. getting my nails done that often. You know, I would go to wash my hair at hair salons. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I would never do that here in yeah. Belgium. Like just to go wash your hair. You just wash your hair yourself. Mm-hmm. I had someone to come and clean if I needed. Mm-hmm. So definitely quality of life was better. And the sun makes everything better. <laughs> yeah. The sun is just, yeah. For me, the fact that after the working day or week, you could just drive out 20, 40 minutes and you could be by the beach, by the beach and, mm-hmm. you know, go into the nature and so many nice things that it's like, oh, wow, I don't have to travel for this. It's just around the corner mm-hmm. every day. I could experience this. Yeah. So that made it so much nicer. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I were living in Ghana with the kids now, it, it would be different because you have to put kids in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and before the pandemic, homeschooling was only for a specific group of people, like either very rich people or very alternative people as, you know, it's, it was very judgmental, like, oh my God, you're homeschooling. Now everyone has pretty much had the, has had the experience with homeschooling. And I don't think people are like, um, so worried about it anymore. But Ghana, uh, schools in Ghana can be very expensive, private schools, because unfortunately, um, that's also a thing that comes with being an expat or a repat or whatever, is that you want your kids to have the education that is about the same level that they would have if they were back home, quote unquote, so that if they do decide to move back and forth, they wouldn't have any issues. And that means that most of the time you need to put them in private schools, which are very expensive in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I lived in Ghana with the kids and we wouldn't have a disposable income that allowed us to put the kids in private schools, it would be an issue. And so then in that case, it would make things harder on us because here school is free, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're they're still very young now, so that's mm-hmm. not an issue right now. But in a couple of years, it would make a big difference in your income, whether you're able to put them in private school or not. Also activities, you know, after school activities, the kids, when they went there last fall, they had so much fun and just playing outside because the sun is shining all the time. Um, but if you want to put them in specific after school classes, like, you know, you have swimming there, that's fine. But these are all extra things you need to pay for. So you really need to calculate, okay, when you don't have this and you invest in this, what's the difference? But I think overall quality of life is definitely better there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then I'm assuming that that was like one of the factors of, 
you know, you guys moving to Belgium or, you know, like what, what else, you know, was, was the enticement to like move back to where, where you had grown up? I think definitely that was a big factor because um, I did not have an expat contract. So I did, my salary was higher than locals mm-hmm. would make, but it wasn't at the level of an expat contract. So I didn't have, uh, I did have housing, but I was taking, because housing in Ghana you is paid uh, annually or minimum every six months. So that means that's bulk payments. <laughs> Um, not a lot of people have that money, but luckily for me, my rent was monthly and it was taken off my salary. So whatever I got paid, my rent was already paid from that. So I didn't have any big expenses after that, which made my life pretty comfortable. My husband was self-employed. And so when business was good, business was good. When business was bad, (laughs) business was bad. Mm -hmm. So adding kids to the mix, when I said that, you know, schools and healthcare and all these things that can be quite expensive. I think at that time when we left to Belgium, it was all, it wasn't the plan to also stay here. I actually had just come to have the baby because Mm -hmm. my husband was not comfortable with me going through the healthcare system there Mm -hmm. as we felt like, okay, Belgium has one of the best healthcare systems and it's practically free. Mm -hmm. So why spend that much money and maybe not be safe and do it elsewhere? Mm -hmm. That was the main deciding factor. And also that my mom, she lives in Belgium and I was having my first child and my husband was like, believe me, you'd want to have your mom around. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we moved here for the baby. And I think it, it's, it wasn't necessarily planned to stay here, but then it evolved to be like that in terms of, you know, how long it takes to do your paperwork stuff. And um, it takes more, you know, more time than you would think vaccinations for babies here and there. And then you're thinking, okay, maybe they're too young. Let's wait a little bit. And before you know it, you get, you know, you get a job and they're like, okay, well, maybe let's wait extra. <laughs> and then you buy a house and there's a second kid. So it just kind of evolved like that. It wasn't necessarily planned. And then after we after second child, we were like, you know what, let's just stay here for a while and plan properly towards getting back if that's uh, something we want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess I do have to ask, going back to like the initial thing that you had said about growing up in Belgium and being black and a minority, you know, and your your children presumably might have that same experience as you do, you know, even though obviously times have progressed, (laughs) progressed somewhat in life. Um, So like, what, what, what do you think that experience is like for them? I don't know if you've had that conversation with them so far, or they've brought it up, you know, looking different, being different. Um, You know, how do you ensure? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, How do you ensure that they feel like, like that's, that's that like they belong. Yeah. 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 I think I always thought that they were, so my oldest is five, will be six this year. So I thought, oh, he's still young. He probably doesn't get race and all of that. So we haven't focused on having conversations around that. Um, but I realized when we took them to Ghana last fall that they do realize, they do see the difference because um, there is something about being in a place where you're a majority (laughs) there is just something Mm -hmm. magical about that and the kids realize that my son was a bit um shy as a little uh, you know as a little boy coming back from Ghana 
not only has he changed for me to see, but when he went into school, his teachers said, oh my God, Joshua has grown so much and has you know gotten so much confidence. And I can tell you 100% that that comes from just being in Ghana for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that in, in him and I was like, oh my God, can you imagine that if the positive side is him being here and this is what it does to him? Well, the opposite is when he's there, maybe he's been, you know, um, something is happening for him to feel like maybe he's less than or something. And and I, I remember him and his sister having fun and gone and playing around with the dogs and everything. And every time he would say, he would see a white person, he would say, oh, mommy, are they also allowed to be here? <laughs> and I say, yes, of course, um, just like you're allowed to be in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And then he said, so can I come here whenever I want? And I said, yes, you can. And I love that he, you know, he realized that, oh, there's a white person and we're now in a country where I don't see a lot of them. So is that fine if he's here too? Mm-hmm. But it was an interesting question coming from a five-year-old. Yeah. And so that's when I realized that uh, they may be young, but I think they still get it and they still see it and feel it. And so I think that's even more so important to um, for at least um, parents with a different background to always keep their culture alive for their kids. Because no matter what, um, you know, they have this culture and you need to share it with them. And I'm so happy we were able to take the kids to Ghana this year. And I can't wait to take them back, you know, to experience even more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you were gone for a few years in Ghana. So, but when you returned to Belgium, you know, did you feel any sense of like um, culture shock? Did you feel any sense of like having to like adjust again, like readjust or, you oh know, were you able to just like, you know, slip back in like, like, like life is normal? <laughs> um. It was actually very hard. It was harder for me to reintegrate back in Belgium than to integrate in Ghana when I moved there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was hard because, first of all, I had not made peace with it, With made peace with, oh, I'm back here now. Mm-hmm. For me, because when I left, it was with the idea, yes, perhaps for six months, but deep down, I wanted it to last forever, mm-hmm. whether Ghana or somewhere else. I had no intention of coming back. And I know that when I came back for me, it's, it felt like a step back. Mm-hmm. It did not feel like a step forward. Also, because things had not changed um, very much here. Um, and I felt like at the same time, the friends that I had left behind here were pretty much doing the same thing and or at the same time, maybe evolved quite a bit. But then I looked at what I did in Ghana and the time that I'd been away, it seemed like I had done so much. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt like a step back in a way. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess, being faced again with being a minority. I was living for three and a half years in a place where I wasn't, in a place where billboards had women who looked like me, in a place where TV had people who looked like me, mm-hmm. where radio, where I didn't, race wasn't even a thing anymore. Yeah. That I had gotten so used to it that, oh, okay, you you turn on the radio and you, People, you know, everything is like you. Mm-hmm. So coming back again to a place where, oh, I'm I'm a minority now. And people ask you questions like, oh, they assume you don't know certain things or that you're less than sometimes. It's like, oh, gosh, we're here again. And mm-hmm. so it was very hard for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. So, you know, we can consider that. Well, actually, first, let me ask you, what is your definition of home? And, you know, when you lived in Ghana, you know, you, you had family there. Do you feel like, like that was a sense of home? Like, do you feel like that contributed to you feeling at home? Or did you sometimes still long for Belgium? Because again, your mom was there. Like, so was she, you know, what made you feel at home in Belgium? Like, what's your definition of home? And, you know, where have you felt the most at home at? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question because uh, it goes line, how would I say, in line with who am I and where do I feel at home with myself? And at first, when I left Belgium, I thought the answer would obviously be Ghana in my head. I was like, oh, well, I'm black. So probably when I go there, then I feel like home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I did feel at home, but I realized I wasn't from there. Mm-hmm. because people could see it and people would say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt differently when people told me there that I wasn't from there. It, it had no negative undertone. It was just like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you're not from here. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when I was when I'm in Belgium and I'm told I'm not from here, it is very much with a negative undertone. It is very much like you're not from here. You do not belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I automatically felt like, oh, by being in Ghana, people did feel like I belonged, even though I was not from there. And they said that they would still say Akwaba, which means you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made me feel home. But I very soon realized that home is where you make it, mm-hmm. where you decide. And so when I said making friends pushed me as an adult to kind of um, do some self-reflection and think about, okay, what kind of person am I? What do I like? What don't I like? What is it that I'm looking for? The same way in creating a home, I had to now think about, okay, what are the elements that I need to make me feel fulfilled in my life? And so Ghana is where I did the, the, the this exercise the first time, because living in Belgium, I guess when you're in the comfort of your in your comfort zone or in the comfort of your home, you don't have to ask yourself some questions. Things are just there because they are. Mm-hmm. But when they're not, you need to analyze what you want to add to the mix to make it more fulfilling. And so I'm um, for, forever grateful for that exercise. And for me, I think it's wherever you decide to make it home. And so sometimes it could be people that you need to add, but it could be circumstances. So I don't, home is no longer a place now. Mm-hmm. It's a state of mind for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I know I have wondered like, wow, you know, like where where will I make my home? You know, because I lived for really practically all my life in um, America. Like I'm originally from Panama, Central America, but Mm -hmm. I I only lived there for a short time. Like, you know, like, a year and a half or something like that, three years, something like that. And then really America was my home, like until I moved to China. So that was like 40 years in America. But then, you know, now that I'm, you know, exploring other countries, yeah, sometimes I do wonder like, you know, where will I make that home somewhere? And like, what does home mean? You know, which is probably why I started the podcast. I wanted to understand what's the definition of home for many people who, you know, are not living 
where they're originally from, you know, for several reasons, you know, either career or your family brought you over when you were little or, you know, whatever the, the case may be. But like, then, then, then if you're not where you're originally from, you know, and living there and you're somewhere else, then, then what does home mean? And, you know, so it is, it is nice to hear like the, the different answers from people, you know, what, home means to people and it's it's not necessarily always where you're from or or a physical house or something like that it's uh-huh. it's the feeling and it's and it's lovely to hear that a person can make a home really in in many places it, it doesn't have to be one place or one place for the rest of your life you know uh-huh. it can exist <laughs> it can exist in various places at different times it depends on like you know, what you need, what fulfills you at that moment. Yeah. And, and it can keep changing. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important for us to empower ourselves, ourselves that it is possible because I think even though we believe that, or we may say that we don't act like it. I say that because um, I have a colleague of mine who also lived in uh, China for many years and mm-hmm. then she's Belgian, white Belgian, and she moved back here and she had very difficulty uh, a lot of difficulty adapting again, even though this is her home, like yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, and I asked her how different she was here versus how she was in China. Mm-hmm. And she described the things that she used to do and the clothes she used to wear and activities she used to do and all of that. And I said, well, is there a way you can still do that here? And she yeah. said, oh, actually, I never thought about it this way. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we should challenge ourselves more because sometimes we are a version of ourselves only on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> we are a version of ourselves only on weekends. We're mm-hmm. a version of ourselves only with certain people. But what if we were that version combined all the time? Yeah. Or whatever yeah. we wanted to. And not only, oh, I can only be like that when I'm on holiday or in Ghana or in China or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I feel I feel like we come home to ourselves when we allow ourselves to go, you know, to have these experiences that we normally only keep for certain times and places all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm going to use this phrase that a friend uh, <laughs> said, and, and I absolutely love it. And I feel like it's so fitting, you know, like she said, you know, America is where her roots are but she blooms everywhere else in the world. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's That's nice. Yeah, definitely. That is. All right. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. I'm going to thank Rosemary again for taking the time to be interviewed by me for this podcast. Are we home yet? A podcast where current expats talk about what it's like or expats or people who have been expats talk about what it's like to live abroad, work abroad. And this is a podcast for future expats to gain insight, inspiration, information into living abroad, taking a chance, a risk into living somewhere, maybe for, you know, a few months, maybe for a few years and experiencing something new, different, possibly wonderful. So with that, I'm going to say, you know, I hope all our listeners enjoy this episode. And if you continue enjoying it, please uh, keep tuning in every week and please subscribe and please leave me a wonderful review. And with that again, Everyone have a great day and you as well. Have a great day, Rosemary. Thank you. You too. Bye. Tune in to my next interview with Janine from America, an educator currently in Ecuador.
I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe on your podcast player and also leave a great review and rating of this podcast as well. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.